Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. Two author interviews, five book reviews. How are you all doing? Are you okay? I do hope you are today. My goodness, I needed a book and I could get this book from the library. So I thought, yes, this is what we're going to do, Philippa, support your local library. You failed at that recently. So I ordered it online and had a little email to say it's ready for you. So I went in and as I was walking in, I said to myself, Philippa, do not look at any other books. You don't need any more books. You don't. Whatever excuse you come up with in this building, do not just pick up one book that you've ordered and leave. And I went in and I said to the librarian, how many books are you allowed these days? Because when I used to work there many moons ago, it was four. And she said to me, you are allowed to take out today 20 books. <laughs> Do you think I just picked up the one book that I'd ordered and merrily sauntered out of the library, pleased with myself that I had resisted temptation. No, if you had seen me, I was trying to carry this pile of books out to my car that I had selected. There were so many that I wanted to read. I was just looking at them thinking, oh, I've heard about that one. I want to read that one. Oh, I want to read that. Oh, that looks good. Uh, I have no self-control. And my family, when they saw me bringing these books into the house... Well, eyebrows were raised, it's fair to say. If I make it through without dying in an avalanche of books, it will be a miracle. But before that happens, I'd better tell you about the books that we've got, because we've got some great books to talk about this week, some really great ones. So we have got The Family Game by Catherine Stedman, and Catherine is coming on to talk to us about that book. Then we've got On This Day in Politics by Ian Dale, and Ian's going to come on and talk to us about that book as well. Lovely. Then we've got Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins-Reed. If you haven't heard about that book, where have you been? It's all over book world. And then another very popular book at the moment, The Marriage Portrait by Maggie Farrell. And finally, All Among the Barley by Melissa Harrison. Most of the books I loved. One I was enjoying until we got to the end. More of that later. You know me, I'll be honest. Um, but let's get started straight away. So The Family Game by Catherine Stedman. You will know Catherine. She has written, I think this is her fourth book. Her first one was Something in the Water. And she's a very famous actress as well. So this woman can work. She works hard. And her latest piece of written work is... The Family Game. And let me read you the blurb for this. New York. Successful English author Harriet Reed is newly engaged to Edward Holbeck, the eldest son of an extremely powerful American family whose influence and reputation precedes them. At their first meeting, Edward's father Robert hands Harriet a tape saying he would love her perspective on a novel he's been working on. But when Harriet listens to the recording, it appears to be a confession to not one but several murders. Confused and unnerved, Harriet has to work out not only if what Robert is saying is true, but why he would be telling her this. What could he possibly have to gain? 
As she goes on a desperate mission to find out the truth, she becomes increasingly suspicious of the entire Holbeck family and the games that they insist on making her play. <laughs> uh, right, let's do the first sentence. Prologue, 25th of December. I come to on the parquet floor of the entrance hall, my face pressed hard against its antique wood, with the clear knowledge that this is not how Christmases should go. <laughs> I love the chapter titles as well of these really good ones. I like the pace, the twist, the, in uh, the intrigue. Anyway, enough about me. Let's go and talk to Catherine now. Well, I say that uh, for various reasons, I haven't been able to speak to Catherine as planned. And so if all goes well, I will be dropping in my interview with Catherine now. If not, then I will have to come up with plan B. <laughs> uh, so let's see whether I'm talking to Catherine now or if I've had to come up with something else. Catherine Steadman, whose latest book is The Family Game. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, it's wonderful to have you. It's wonderful to have your baby as well in the background. 13 weeks old, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, my my uh, my apologies. Um, she's, she's just had some food, so she's working through that. <laughs> You've got nothing to <laughs> apologise for. It's lovely to have you both join us today. I mean, this book, uh, we've all been to some strange family Christmas gatherings, but I just wondered what sort of strange family Christmas gatherings you've been to to come up with this book. I wish our family played such interesting games, but um, sadly not. Uh, my, my family were never really a games playing family, but um, I, I kind of like the idea of uh, writing a, a thriller set around Christmas because I don't know about you, but like when the weather changes, I kind of want to get out all the Christmas movies, well, the Halloween ones first and then the Christmas ones. Um, and yeah, I, I wanted to set a book that sort of started, you know, November with American Thanksgiving and worked all the way up to Christmas. Um, and yeah, included lots of kind of awkward family rituals and traditions uh because they're they're so strange other people's traditions are so strange and your own when you examine them are just bizarre yeah absolutely and the ones in this book are just yes very um very interesting should we say did the idea just come to you suddenly out of the blue for it my starting point was I wanted to write a thriller, thriller set around Christmas and um that's the the time of year traditionally when you know you get all the family in one place and all those kind of familial tensions come out and um the idea of it being the first time someone meets their potential in-laws as well adds this level of game playing um underneath the games that are being played as well because you know you're so desperate for a new family to like you when you get there and, and you're trying to navigate uh, this really complex psychological stuff um, and, and then plopping in, um, you know, the thriller aspect on top of that uh, just really heightened it. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to explore. And I, I hadn't really looked into um, the uh, the kind of traditional sort of folklore element of Christmas. I mean, we all know about, you know, Jesus in the manger and uh, the lowing cattle and all of that. But um, I was like, where do Christmas trees come from? And, you know, St. Nicholas and the elves, where, where did that bit come in? And um, and yeah, there were some very, very strange discoveries um, about the Christmas that we sort of celebrate, um, all of us in the UK um, with our fairy lights and all of that. And and uh, yeah, and, and it's still the darker sides of Christmas still celebrated in Germany and Eastern Europe. And uh, yeah, it's really interesting when you delve into all that. And that was just, yeah, that sort of sparked my imagination. And we meet Harriet, a British author in New York. How much of you is there in Harriet, would you say? Oh, that's a great question. I think, um, I think probably for a lot of authors, like every character has got a bit of me in it. I wanted her to be a fish out of water. Um, and if she, if American audiences are reading it, then she'll be a fish out of water because she's a Brit in America. And if if the British audience are reading it, she's a Brit abroad. Um, and I think we're we're fascinated by um, how people how people accept our nationality in foreign countries and how it's perceived by others. So um, 
there's that sort of added layer of it as well of, you know, the traditions of America and the traditions of the UK and how bizarre they can seem to each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, a bit of every character has got me in it. Um, and some scenes are really fun to write. <laughs> I mean, poor Harriet, she has a lot to deal with. Did her character change as you were writing all that was thrown at her? Um, yeah, obviously she um she uh, she goes through a huge journey um, in the book, um, but I, I had a pretty clear idea of you know what she needed um, from the story. So with Harriet, um, she has a crystal clear um, objective for everything she does in the story, um, why she travels to another country, why she needs to get through this kind of Balmoral test, this American Balmoral test to prove that she belongs with these people. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, she she goes through this um, kind of progressively harder series of games to um, either win or lose um, it all. Yeah, I mean, I thought our family playing of Ludo was strange and competitive, but this is <laughs> this is a, another level. Yeah, it's it's very funny the dynamics. Um, of families playing games um and you can see people letting people win and you can see people um trying desperately to win themselves and then other people sneaking some notes out of the the banker's pile and you know all of this kind of stuff and when you're an outsider as well and you're not you're not invested in the game yet and you just see it all happening and that's the kind of vibe that I wanted um for Harriet but the stakes so much so much higher than the average yes and we meet some some nice people and some not so nice people in the story which did you enjoy writing more I I I like I think I like all the characters really I try to um I try to throw some curveballs in there people who appear you know very nice um might not turn out to be but I, I like to sort of undercut that because I do feel like in a lot of thrillers, if someone's so, so nice, they're always going to be the killer. So I've got some red herrings in there. There are some people who just are really nice. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I think that's the thing, isn't it? You can't really tell often the, you know, um, in real life, you can't, you, you can never really tell. Like um, when things go wrong, it's always a surprise, you know, isn't it? Um so yeah yes you think you know someone but it's uh, people wear masks and yeah exactly and and in families as well you know things slide and you know someone can become the funny one um whereas in a different scenario they might just be seen as cruel or you know uh, thoughtless or whatever but um in a family atmosphere it can suddenly be oh they're the fun one um yeah so it was interesting playing with all those kinds of you know nuances it's about getting the balance right so I was interested did you find as you were writing that you had to add in more for your characters deal with or take some out because it is it is a fine balance getting the right amount of tension and action in it is yeah um but when you sort of introduce into the mix um this kind of King Lear sort of um people have I said mentioned succession and that's definitely Hmm. you know a modern sort of influence but it is that kind of King Lear um archetype of you know the uh the patriarch who's coming to the end of his reign and a family closing in around it you know um he's not dead yet very much very much not dead yet (laughs) so he's um it it really is the family vying for importance and power and um all of those uh, exciting things. Do the characters stay with you when you finished writing? Do you find that they're still talking to you in your mind? Yeah, well, I like I do like to um, I, I like to resolve at the end of a story, but I always like there to be for the reader that um, that they, they can carry on thinking about it afterwards, and they can I, I leave enough that they can imagine maybe the next what the next ten years might hold or you know what will come next maybe it's that thing when you're watching a movie and you go oh sequel um I don't like intend to write any sequels but I think it's so nice I like it when I'm reading a book to get to the end and go oh oh my gosh I can imagine what will happen next and wouldn't it be cool if blah 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 happened and um so yeah I, I like to do that um 
And yeah, when I when I come back and like I, I, I usually read my audio book. So when I'm reading it back again, like I, I get back into the headspace of that and I'm like, oh, yeah, this bit. And yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I try I get most of it out when I'm writing, I think, uh, of what I want the characters to do. So there's not much left other than what would happen in the future. Well, now you've got some quick fire questions and these are for you as the author. There's not about Harriet in particular, just for you as an author. Um, so the first one, Christmas in the UK or Christmas in the USA? Ooh, uh, Christmas in the UK with uh, US movies. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Uh, lots of edits or no edits? Oh, lots of edits. Yeah, love oh, editing. Yeah. Interesting. Um, book title or book cover? Oh, God, that's hard. Um, I think cover. Yes. Bookshelves arranged by author or by colour? Oh, colour. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, you have that. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I, I definitely went through a stage of alphabetising, but um, no, colour's so much nicer. <laughs> Excellent. And the last quickfire one, audiobook or ebook? Audiobook, definitely. Especially if you're narrating them, that, that makes sense. I mean, this is your fourth book, the first one, uh, uh, so well known as they all are, but the first one was Something in the Water. You've Your acting career is, you know, in incredible. When someone asks you what you enjoy most or if they don't know who you are for some strange reason, they ask what you do. What do you say now? Are you which, What's your first response, author or actor? Um, I tend to say now, oh, which is oh, s s sickening, really, but I, I tend to say multi-hyphenate, <laughs> um, which, oh, which okay. used to be slashy. But um, yeah, I'd say I'd say multi-hyphenate. And then if, if they're in any way vaguely interested in me continuing that sentence, <laughs> I'll tell them the rest of it. But if they, they're like, I know enough from that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they back away quickly. yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah but I, I I like to try and keep keep in with all of the things and I've, I've sort of added screenwriting to um to my my cv now I've, I've got um the first tv series that I've uh written is is coming out in October on Paramount plus um oh yeah it's called super. the ex-wife um and I watched the uh, first look trailer yesterday and it's very exciting it's very exciting <laughs> oh wow so gosh you really are um, a multi-craft person multi yeah, yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah but uh yeah it was so much fun to to um to sort of come at storytelling from another angle again it's but it's all storytelling um you know in one form form or another so um uh, probably I'm just that I just uh oh, yeah when you write do you visualize the scene as if you were acting it you know does your all your experience from acting come out as you're writing it um yeah I think so I think uh yeah I think I'm a very visual person um or rather like um experiential person I kind of like the, my books to be immersive and for the reader to feel like they're there and they can smell it taste it touch it the night before the book uh, a book is published is that a nervous time or are you just looking forward to it uh yeah I think you get a feeling a couple of weeks or maybe even a month before the book uh comes out of um you know uh how how much publishers are pushing it for you and um whether people are going no I really liked it rather than it was great <laughs> um, yeah you kind of get like a gist of of what's coming um but um yeah most actors are pretty good with uh with uh, negative feedback I mean 90% of re of acting reviews are ne negative feedback like why is she wearing that jacket I couldn't take the scene seriously why is she wearing that jacket <laughs> you know that kind oh. of thing but um yeah I um I, I kind of find it exciting I suppose it's like that first night excitement mm. yeah mm. you must be very resilient to to cope with that but as you say that you've had to to do that for a long time so yeah I, well I suppose it's just a muscle mm. isn't it every job has like a different sort of set of things that you just sort of get used to really my last question is what's next I mean we, we've heard about the ex-wife coming out soon but what about a, a book is there another book being planned um yeah I think I'm I'm gonna start on that um I'm on uh sort of coming to the end of my maternity leave now and um I am um, 
planning on starting something maybe towards the end of this year or the beginning of next year. Um, uh, I also have a short story out at the moment, um, which is um, on Amazon. Um, it's part of their, um, uh, they, they do like a, year, a yearly anthology of yes. um, thriller short stories. Yeah, um, it's called the Getaway Collection. Um, and my story is called Stockholm. Uh, oh. that came out a couple of days ago so yeah that's that's um again it's sort of set in a uh a beautiful location it's um it's uh arctic sweden so uh, you've got the aurora borealis and you know ice plains and um yeah all that sort of stuff super yeah. so there's more to read already and then you'll be working hard on on the next book which we look forward to so Catherine Steadman, whose latest book is the family game thank you so very much oh thanks so much for having me thanks next book is non-fiction no less now i need to i need to explain the rationale for choosing this book but let me read you the blurb first from the first meeting of an elected english parliament on 20th of january 1265 to the tabling of the Bill of Rights on 13th February 1689, from the Peterloo Massacre of 16th of August 1819 to Britain voting to leave the EU on the 23rd of June 2016. There is a growing thirst for knowledge about the history of our constitutional settlement, our party system and how our parliamentary democracy has developed. Uh, Let's do the first chapter, which of course is the first day. So... And I'll explain a bit more about this. So Monday, the 1st of January, 1973, Britain joins the European Economic Community. Today, Britain became a member of the European Economic Community, as it was then called, after two previous attempts to join the common market in 1963 and 1967 were vetoed by the French president, Charles de Gaulle. So what this is, is... A moment in time or a person or something that's happened on a day and you get it for every day of the year. So it's set in order. You know, I've talked to you before about poetry, but a poem for every day of the year, all different things for every day of the year. And they're great, but they're quite light. Whereas this one, it's still just a page per day. So you don't have to, you know, get your extra special pair of glasses and sit down for three hours to read it. You can just read the page. But, you know, we're at a time when I want to know more about politics and we're all talking about it and moaning about it. So this, I think, is really useful because not only are you looking at events that have happened very recently, you go back in time and literally every day. I don't know about you, but whenever I get a book like this, a, a, a something for every day of the year, I look at the first few then I look at my birthday and see what would uh, what's happening on that day then I look at Christmas and then I go back and start again I don't know why but then I don't like to look at lots of others because it kind of spoils the surprise Um, I thought it it's written yes it's written intelligently of course but it's written in a very sort of human um, approachable way so that you don't have to be someone who's studied politics at Oxford you know me and I like this book I really did and I know other people that would really like it and it is one that I'm going to stick to every day because it just it gives you perspective that's the word I was searching for it gives you perspective over the period of time of what has happened and what's important and the standout moments and things that you just couldn't comprehend would happen so long ago anyway so that, that's my waffle, but let's talk to Ian now. Ian Dale, whose latest book is On This Day in Politics. Welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you. I love this book. I really did. I mean, I just think it works for so many different people, whether you're just starting out and wanting to learn more about politics or if you consider yourself quite a political geek, if that's the right term to use. I just think it's... Um, it's a great book and it's one, uh, if any of my friends and family are listening to this, I'm sorry because it's going to be one they're going to be getting for <laughs> Christmas. You've fallen into my evil trap. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Is it a book you've been asked to write for, for quite a while? No, uh-huh. um, I ha- had the idea. Um, that, there was a book that I bought in foils um, in about 1978 
I think. Well, no, actually, no, actually, I think it was a bit after that. But um, do you remember Foils used to be one of those bookshops where you could just mooch around, and they they mm. they always had books that had seemed to have been there for like twenty years. And this was a list of dates going back to 1945 and just one line about events that happened on each day. And I I was just flicking through that one day and I thought, wouldn't it be a good idea to do a book that was 365 days with one event per page and you write sort of effectively 350, 360 words on each one? And I started jotting down dates just off the top of my head and got to about 80 without even trying and then I thought somebody must have done this already. So I looked on Amazon and, and Google, and nobody had. Dan Snow had done one called On This Day in History, um, but that was much more sort of widespread. And then I thought, well, I, I, there can't be anything that sort of could stop me from doing this, is there? So, and then I thought, well, I could probably write a third of them just off the top of my head. Obviously, there are lots I'd have to research. It didn't quite turn out like that. I, I really had to research, I would say, 90% of them, even though a lot of the events I was reasonably familiar with, there's always something that you miss. So, um, so that's where the idea came. And my agent put it to uh, a couple of publishers and, and off we went. And in this time of um, political sensitivity, it, it seems to me that it's it's not about political parties; it's about political events, whatever party that is. Well, it's about it's about political events and political people. So, I mean, the, the difficulty was that on some days there were maybe ten events to choose from, and some of them very very important on the same day, but I could only choose one. So, and then on other days, frankly, bugger all happened. So, like on September the 13th, for example, I was really struggling. Um, so I, and that was the day Ian Duncan Smith became leader of the Conservative Party. So he gets an entry. <laughs> um, but I mean, most of the days there was plenty to choose from. And, and a, lot of, a lot of days were really, they, they sort of, they threw up events that, You'd never heard of, for example. Um, let me, actually, let me just find it in in the book here because that, that's the problem in doing interview. In fact, you are my first interview, but I've slightly been dreading doing interviews on this book because if you write about three hundred and sixty five events, I suppose yeah. you're expected to be entirely familiar with all of them, and I should be. But I wrote obviously I wrote it some time ago, so I have to do, look up some of them. So, for example, on Saturday the first of December, eighteen forty nine. William Cuffey lands in Tasmania. Now, you might say, well, who's William Cuffey? <laughs> well, he was um, essentially, uh, he was a man of mixed race, which in Britain in 1849 was not particularly usual. He was only four feet 11 inches tall, but he was one of the first sort of trade union agitators. And he effectively sort of broke the law. He he was uh, arrested because of a protest and transported to Tasmania. Um, And and he wasn't wasn't guilty. So I thought I would include him because nobody's ever heard of him. And it was in the days, I mean, trade unions kind of existed, but not in a very formal way. And it just showed you what could happen um, if you transgressed the law. Um, and he he spent the rest of his life in Tasmania, died in 1870 at the age of 82 and became quite a notorious figure in Australia. So I thought he was quite an interesting one to include. You, you have um, people like John Stewart. Let me just look him up. He's, he's on page nine, so he's easy to find. Um, <laughs> first non-white MP elected to the House of Commons. Now, when do you think the first non-white MP was elected to the House of Commons? Just have a guess. Well, I remember reading that. Page, oh, cheat. Uh, but I, but <laughs> can I remember the date? I can't. But it was earlier than I had. Yeah, eighteen thirty-two. Yeah. And and the, the the really surprising thing about him was that he was he was mixed race. But his father was a slave trader. And in fact, so was he, or a slave owner. Um, he had a plantation in the West Indies. Um, and, and I mean, absolutely fascinating character. And again, I didn't know that. I, I actually thought it was about 1895 that the first non-white MP was elected in, in sort of Finsbury and Wood Green or something like that. But it, it's not. It's um, John Stewart. I would have said it was in the the next century, so I would have got it completely yeah. wrong if I if I hadn't looked. But, and I was interested because how you managed to balance putting in 
enough, but still keeping it to one page. Were you ever tempted to say, well, I just need to, to do some more on this? No. I mean, I, there was a discussion with the publisher about whether they should be different lengths. And I thought, no. I mean, they, they first of all said, well, if you just do it like this, a block of text, one page per entry... And, and you and you make sure you fill the whole page up, it looks too much like a textbook. And I thought, no, it doesn't. So we had a bit of a row about that one, well, not a row. Um, and, and they wanted me to sort of do a few that were shorter just to vary the, the length on the page. And there are one or two that are a little bit shorter. But, of course, most of them you overwrite and then have to cut them down. And it's quite a discipline to do that. That's why I have a huge respect for tabloid journalists who have to write a really complicated story in about 150 words. I always think tabloid journalists are far more talented than broadsheet because they, 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 they have to explain it to their readers in a reasonably entertaining way in so few words. And I love these sort of books. So I've got the, a poem for every day, a, a Shakespeare yeah. verse for every day, a piece of music for every day. But... They only go so far, whereas your book, I just felt it's one that I will definitely keep to every day instead of starting off with the right intentions and then... Not. Well, it's a perfect Lou book, isn't it, really? Yes. Because, I mean, I doubt whether <laughs> anybody would read it cover to cover. I mean, maybe some people will. But th- th- there are so many different aspects to this that I mean, the, the, the number of pages that concerned Ireland... Now, I reasonably familiar with Irish history but it actually taught me so much that I didn't know about Irish history when I was um I mean we all know about the events of 1916 but what detail do we know and part of the joy of doing this book is that you you don't have to read thousands of words on an event but if you want to this is the spur to so for example I've got on the 7th of January 1922 the Doyle votes to ratify the Anglo-Irish Treaty well there are various other events that lead up to that which are in the book as well and I just wanted I suppose I suppose I'm aiming this at anyone vaguely interested in politics but I think you got it right at the beginning that if you have a vague interest this will hopefully spur your interest in in different subjects and then you go elsewhere and read more you, you find a character that you you didn't know then go and read a biography of them so it's meant to sort of spark people's interest so I hope it will really appeal to um to younger people actually yes I just thought that because my daughter's doing a level politics I thought this is a yeah. great book for her just to dip into and not feel that she's got this volume that she has to read yeah. straight away but you see that the problem is when when you say politics it automatically turns some people off and they think oh that's going to be a bit boring well I've tried to make it reasonably entertaining i've inserted a few bits of sort of like if, I, if i've met somebody that i'm writing about in the book i might tell a little anecdote about when i met them or um i don't do that obviously on every every page but i i try and insert a little bit of sort of just it's not an academic book it it's meant to be vaguely entertaining which politics can be actually you know <laughs> Well, it certainly is with your with your podcast for the many, definitely. <laughs> well, well, that yeah. <laughs> too too entertaining sometimes that one. <laughs> no, are you thinking? Well, you you should do um, another volume of this because literally, as we speak, you know, all the time events are happening, and as you say, some days you had too many to choose from. Is there going to be a volume two? Not on politics. I mean, the great thing about this is you could do a whole series sort of on this day in football, on this day in America, on this day in the monarchy. Um, There's so many things that you could do. The one thing, I mean, it did take me a lot longer to do than I thought it would. Um, So it's it's quite an undertaking, and particularly if if you're writing about things that you are totally unfamiliar with. And some of the things are really, really complicated, and you've only got three hundred and fifty words to tell them in. Um, I, I mean, it, it it was a lot. It was a much more difficult book to write than I thought it would be. Well, there's a question that I ask all my authors. So this, I don't think you've been asked this question before. So forgive me for it, but you're on the podcast, so you're going to be asked. What food and drink did you consume the most when you were writing this particular book? Drink would be lilt with the totally tropical, tropical taste because I'm ad- I'm addicted to it. 
Lilt was one of those drinks that was really popular in the 70s and 80s, and there was a really big advertising campaign. But um, when you sort of say Lilt to people now, they're a bit quizzical. Um, what food did I eat most? Probably crisps. I'm also addicted to crisps. So as you can see, I have a very bad diet, which is why I'm a diabetic. What flavour, Chris, though? Let's get down to detail here. There is not really a flavour of crisp that I don't like. I've become slightly addicted to hula hoops. Um, so it would probably be <laughs> cheese and onion and salt and vinegar hula hoops. <laughs> and lilt. That's, and lilt, that's yes. Just and uh, with, with the odd mint magnum thrown in for good taste. <laughs> We are friends. We are friends, definitely. <laughs> Can't wait to see people reading it and, and loving it and passing the word on. Well, do, do feel free to pass the word on. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Dale, whose latest book is On This Day in Politics. Thank you for joining me today. Pleasure. Thank you. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Next book is Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. All I knew about this book was, yes, of course, it was by Taylor Jenkins Reid and that it was about tennis and that people were mesmerised by it. They were picking it up and they were just consuming it. I hadn't heard a bad thing about this particular book, uh, whereas I, I had heard mixed reviews about some of the other books. So it was based on that alone that I picked up the book and read it. What I didn't do is read the blurb. And so I'm going to read the blurb to you now. And this is literally the first time I've read it as well, having read the book. So this will be an interesting one for us all. Carrie Soto is fierce and her determination to win at any cost has not made her popular. But by the time she retires from tennis, she is the best player the world has ever seen. She has shattered every record and claimed 20 slam titles. And if you ask Carrie, she is entitled to every one. She sacrificed nearly everything to become the best. And her father, as her coach, Javier, a former champion himself, has trained her since the age of two. But six years after her retirement, Carrie finds herself sitting in the stands of the 1994 US Open, watching her record being taken from her by a brutal, stunning British player named Nicky Chan. At 37 years old, Carrie makes a monumental decision to come out of retirement and be coached by her father for one last year in an attempt to reclaim her record. Even if the sports media say that they never liked the battle axe anyway, even if her body doesn't move as fast as it did, and even if it means swallowing her pride to train with a man she once almost opened her heart to, Bow Huntley. Like her, he has something to prove before he gives up the game forever. Let's do first sentence. That's a long blurb, isn't it? Good grief. OK. Chapter one. Chan versus Cortez, US Open, September 1994. 
My entire life's work rests on the outcome of this match. My father, Javier, and I sit front row centre at Flushing Meadows, the sidelines just out of reach. The linesmen stand with their arms behind their backs on either side of the court. Straight in front of us, the umpire presides over the crowd, high in his chair. The ball girls crouch low, ready to sprint at a moment's notice. This is the third set. Nicky Chan took the first and Ingrid Cortez squeaked out the second. This last one will determine the winner. You don't need to know that blurb. Listen, I'll be honest with you. Do I like tennis? I don't. I love the excuse for some strawberries and cream, but sport is not my thing. However, having read this book, I now want to watch quite a bit of tennis and I thoroughly enjoyed reading the book. There is a lot of tennis in it. So for me as a non-tennis, non-sporty person to say they really enjoyed it is saying something. It's her best book yet. Um, it's it's just a great story. There are thrills in terms of the tennis matches and you're sort of living a tennis match as you're reading it and it's so well written. I just thought it was great. Um, if this is the sort of the benchmark going forward, then anybody who hasn't enjoyed her books before, I think, would enjoy them now. I thought it was really good. And I can understand why people are just talking about this book. Yes, it's an easy read, but there's nothing wrong with that. It It's still captivating in its in its story and its characters. And interestingly, it's a book that already I've had lots of people saying, when you finish that book, can I have it? So you know that it's one that people are hearing about. So, yeah, I thought that was very good. I am waffling today, aren't I? It's supposed to be quick book reviews. And they're the slowest wafflest ones on this earth. OK, next one. Maggie Farrell, The Marriage Portrait. Can I do this any quicker? Let's see. Here's the blurb. Lucrezia is 16 years old and has led a sheltered life. Locked away inside Florence's grandest palazzo, guarded by her father's soldiers and her mother's ladies-in-waiting. Here, in this remote villa, however, she's entirely at the mercy of her increasingly erratic husband. What is she to do with this sudden knowledge? What chance does she have against Alfonso, the ruler of a province and a trained soldier? How can she ensure her survival? OK, so, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> Chapter one, a wild and lonely place. Lucrezia is taking her seat at the long dining table, which is polished to a watery gleam and spread with dishes. Inverted cups, a woven circlet of fur. Her husband is sitting down, not in his customary place at the opposite end, but next to her, close enough that she could rest her head on his shoulder, should she wish. He is unfolding his napkin and straightening a knife and moving the candle towards them both, when it comes to her with a peculiar clarity, as if some coloured glass has been put in front of her eyes, or perhaps removed from them, that he intends to kill her. Now, as you may remember, I've talked about the last book Maggie wrote, which was, of course, Hamlet. And the whole world loved Hamlet. Not one person said they didn't. Everybody said it was the most amazing book. Book of the week, book of the month, book of the year. And yes, I didn't like it. To be fair to me, I didn't like it because the hype, by the time I read it, the hype had been hyped so much, I was just like... I. This book is going to have to be something amazing to live up to the hype. And it was good, but it didn't it didn't grip me as much. I loved the marriage portrait. The only thing that irked me, I didn't think I was going to use the word irked today. But the only thing that irked me was that a few weeks ago, I'd been listening to another book podcast when they'd been talking about this book. And they had said something about a certain part of the book that basically turns out it was the big dramatic reveal at the end. So while I loved the book, at the end I was like, say what? But I had, I knew that this was going to be in it, so it was not a surprise or a shock. So thanks, chaps, you know who you are, for the book podcast. I, I mean, I try to be spoiler free, but anyway, there we go, never mind. Um, 
I thought it was exquisitely written. It's very sort of measured and controlled. So there's not a lot of big action and, and big things happening, but there's just this pressure building and building and it keeps you reading it. I thought there were some really hard things to read, the scenes about animals and, oh, I didn't, yeah, didn't like that with the animals. Um, but I thought it was a, a beautifully exquisite book. It it deserves all its accolades. I mean, it's £25 if you pay full price for it. That's a lot of money for a fiction. Now, non-fiction, um, the jury's much more out on that because it's a book that you presumably are going to keep and refer to. Whereas fiction, usually it that's it. I read a book once. Very rarely do I read a book a second time. I think it's a very good book. It demonstrates what a good writer Maggie Farrell is. Um, but £25 is a lot for a book, particularly at the moment. I know paper's more expensive. I know ev the cost of everything are going up. But £25 for a book. How many pages is it? I mean, again, not that we should pay per page. Oh, it's 436. It's quite a big font, though, I've got to say. It's not one that you need, you know, you need to pause and focus on. You whip through it at quite a pace. I think you could have got that down to 350 pages. But anyway, I'm sounding very... It's a good book. I wanted to read it now because I wanted to read it before the hype started because that's what disappointed me so much with Hamlet. It's always when someone says to you, oh, this is so funny or this is the best thing. It, it's never quite as good as when you discover it yourself. So there we go. That's the marriage portrait. And then finally, sorry, just put that book down as you can hear the thump, All Among the Barley by Melissa Harrison. Now, is there any blurb? Is there any blurb for this book? The only blurb is the fields were eternal. Our life the only way of things, and I would do whatever was required of me to protect it. Uh, let's... Always oh, a map. See, I didn't even notice there was a map. Oh, the maps are very like Millie Molly Mandy. This is showing my age, but if you ever used to get Millie Molly Mandy, maps look very similar to those. Anyway, here we go. Prologue. Last night, I lay awake again, remembering the day the hunt ran me down in Hulver Wood when I was just a girl. It was December, as it is now, and I had ventured out into the icy afternoon to cut some green boughs for the house. None of the others minded much about decorations, but I loved the way the firelight flickered on the glossy leaves of holly I always hung above the parlour heath. As I say, this was a book club choice, so I hadn't heard about this book before. I was fresh to it. And in some ways, I loved it. I I, I love the, the sort of the the idyllic side of being in the country and having grown up in the country for me, something like that does feel very romantic. Uh, I thought it sort of, it drew me in gently, but then as well as it being lovely and oh, isn't that nice and the lovely countryside, there are awful, awful things that happen in this book. You've got abuse, you've got drinking, um, anti-women, anti-Jews, shocking. But it's a book of its time and it's set... Oh, when is it set? It must be 1930... It must be 1930-something. Let's have a look. Oh, 1933. Here we go. In fact, I found a blurb. So let's, let's read that out. The autumn of 1933 is the most beautiful E.D. Mather can remember though the Great War still casts a shadow over the cornfields of her beloved home, Witch Farm. When charismatic, outspoken Constance Fitzalan arrives from London to write about fading rural traditions, she takes an interest in 14-year-old Eddie, showing her a kindness she has never known before, but the older woman isn't quite what she seems. As harvest time approaches and pressures mount on the whole community, Edie must find a way to trust her instincts and save herself from disaster. There we go. So it's lovely, but awful. It's shocking. It's got a, this great story. I love this sort of Connie coming in and her character. But the ending, I was just, I was shocked. I was horrified. I What what happened next? What 
And the trouble is, we never got to have the book club meeting to discuss this for various reasons. So I'm still left wanting to know what other people thought about it. So it's a book I wouldn't have chosen that I think was very well written. It's hard to read in places. But the ending, just what? I don't know if that was me reacting to it. I don't know. Very weird one. Please, I do love it when you get in touch with me. And you know how to get in touch. You can email me at quickbookreviews@outlook.com. You can message me on Twitter, on Instagram. Your girl's even on TikTok now. Tell me what you thought of this book and in particular the end. I need to know. But there we go. I've wasted enough of your time. I hope I've given you some great books to think about. Let's have a bit of a recap. So we had The Family Game by Catherine Stedman. Catherine very kindly joined us uh, to talk about the book. Then we had On This Day in Politics by Ian Dale. And Ian very kindly joined us to talk about his book as well. Then we had Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. The Marriage Portrait by Maggie Farrell. And All Among the Barley by Melissa Harrison. That's your lot. Look after yourselves. I'll be back next week. You know it. I'll be back with another two author interviews, five book reviews. So, oh, and I've got some great books to talk to you about. So just look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one ever. See you again soon. 